All right, you can be seated this morning. Well, uh, I had someone very close to me last week uh, after the service or a gathering. I talked to her, and she said, uh, I'm not sure anyone heard anything you said after about 10 minutes after you got started because of how hot it was. So what I'd like to do this morning is kind of pick up where I was last week for the first 30 minutes, and then the sermon for today will go after that. So no, I just want to get her back. It, it was actually my wife. But anyway, all right. Galatians chapter 5, if you'll go ahead and turn there in Galatians chapter 5, we're continuing this whole thought on essential fruit, non-essential frustration. And again, this whole series was born out of the frustration that may come to to us uh, through the inconveniences of where we've been over these last several months. And I think all of us have been touched by it in some way or some fashion. Whether something as simple as not being able to go out to eat, uh, maybe it was more severe for you where uh, there was a health crisis that came to your life. Uh, I know there are several seniors here this morning in which they weren't able to, to, to take the walk that they normally would after graduating, and I know that's a big inconvenience, but we've all been touched by this in some form or fashion. And so today, what I want to do is talk about the third uh, uh, spiritual fruit that I believe God wants to see produced in us, no matter what we're facing, and that is the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Now, what we're going to, again, look at is this whole idea of self-control. Now, without self-control, a person faces ruin. A ruined life ruins others' lives. A lack of self-control leads to the worst kinds of dysfunction. And maybe some of you, you're sitting here and you could say, you know something, I, I think I've seen this firsthand. I've seen it maybe in a parent or I saw it in, in one of my children's lives. Uh, maybe you yourself have dealt with a lack of self-control in your life. And you know what I just said, that it does lead to possible ruin, ruin of life, ruin of relationships. But there's so many different ways that lack of self-control can, can affect our lives. And so this morning, that's where I want us to focus. Now, when you look at the spiritual fruit list, there's nine of them. It, the first one is love. And, and what's interesting about that is that was the Hebrew ideal. If you were to look at the Hebrew ideal, the mindset that, that came with that, it was this whole idea of love, love God, love others. But this, the ninth one, the last one, was the Greek ideal. And, and that was the culture in which the first century was there. So you started with the Hebrew ideal of love, and you ended with the Greek ideal of self-control. And so that, that's one thing that when you look at this list that you'll see. So, But what is self-control? Well, let me give you some definitions of this, and one builds on the other. It is saying no to all that God forbids and yes to all that he ordains. It's, it is bringing one's desires, appetites, passions, and impulses under the authority of God's word, surrendered to the control of the Holy Spirit, and possibly even accountable to another of like faith. And then the third part of the definition, it is also the discipline to abide in that place. Now, before we go any further, let me just say this. As a youth pastor, I remember teaching students for about 10 years, and, and, and the, the theme that you kind of heard out there with students as you proclaimed God's word and told them about truth is uh, they came away, I think many of them thinking, God doesn't want me to have a good time. God, I mean, he's keeping me from all this stuff, all those things that are in me that want to act on something. He's basically saying, shut that down, you know, and, and I get that. 
But even we as adults, I think many we find ourselves there too. And here's what I want to say about that. It's not a matter of God saying no, no, no. It's a matter of God saying yes, yes, yes to his best for us. I mean, think about those things. Maybe you've lived a little longer than most students and definitely more longer than, than children. Uh, you, you notice that as we live life, we begin to see that the things that we thought we wanted came back to bite us. They were those things that caused the dangers and the ruin in our lives. And for many of us, we're sitting here and we're saying, yeah, I've lived life long enough to know that God knows what he's doing. And when he says to refrain from this and don't do this, I get it now. I had to learn it the hard way. Well, all this will be born in and through self-control when it comes to obeying God's word. So, how is self-control contrasted? Well, first of all, what Paul does here in Galatians, he talks about the works of the flesh. And, And if you were to look at this list he gives us, look at verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I think every one of us would look at this and say, you know something? When it comes to God's word, when it comes to what he desires for us, yes, this is a classification of behaviors that would be out of control. And again, maybe these are some things that we've even had to deal with. Now, I want you to think about this. A car out of control can mean death. A fire out of control means property loss. A life out of control can mean ruin and destruction. But what we find here in Galatians is Paul is making this contrast and he's saying really when you define your life and if you want what's, what's best for what God has for you, it'll be a life that's contrasted between the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit, the works that are out of control and the works that have self-control. Now, how does he compare this? In Proverbs 25, it says this. It says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man or a person who lacks self-control. Now, I want you to think about this. If you go back and look at walls uh, that are no longer existing around a city back in the days this was written, that would have been a terrifying place to live your life. You were unprotected. You, every, I mean, anything could just come in and invade and bring destruction and ruin in your life. And basically what the, psalm, uh, the, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, is saying, he's basically saying a city that has no walls is like a person's life who has no self-control, prone to ruin. So what's the purpose of the walls? To provide protection and provision. Lack of self-control means we are like a city without this protection. It means we're more accessible to the enemy. We're susceptible to deception. And we're not protected from defeat and destruction. And so Solomon in Proverbs is basically saying, boy, you don't want to be a city without walls. You don't want to be a person without walls. And that person without walls is a person who lacks self-control. Now, Of all the characters in the Bible who lived the epitome of the lack of self-control, it would have to be Samson. How many of you remember the story of Samson? How many of you, when you read the story of Samson, uh, you read this story and, and you just you almost want to yell when you read it. It's like, wake up, man. Do you not see what's going on around you? How many of you, when you read it, it's like, you don't see this? You know, it's amazing. Um, being a pastor for 30 years now in some form, uh, it is amazing that people don't see what seems to be so obvious sometimes. 
and, and their choices and where they're going to lead and, and how many times they, they just don't see it. I see this show up a lot, a lot of times uh, with men who are in what I would call a midlife crisis. And, and, and they're being led by the impulses. And they're being led by, there's all kinds of things that go into that midlife crisis. And all of a sudden, they're doing things they never imagined that they would do. The, the, the self-control they once had, now there's a lack of. And now they're left unprotected. Now they're doing and making decisions that really made, would have made no sense to them just years before. And all of a sudden, be, things began to be coming down. Now, now, let's put that in the whole context of Samson. The strongest man who ever lived, according to God's word. He could conquer and control thousands, but he could not conquer and control himself. His loss of control robbed him of God's desire for his life. He won many victories on the outside, but not many on the inside. His life was controlled by lust and fits of anger. His lack of self-control led literally to his tragic death. And we see that so clear in his life. You see, when we think about it, self-control is the cure for life that's out of control. It is the cure for the consequences of an out-of-controlled life that means less anxiety, depression, and self-centeredness, and a self-critical spirit. You know, it's amazing how we can really have the potential to mess up our lives, to destroy our lives. How many of you have lived long enough to know that you can be your own worst enemy? You been there? You know what I'm talking about? I guarantee you, you got to that place because of a lack of self-control. I look back over my life and the decisions that I made that were outside of the circumference of self-control uh, were those things that came back to bite me. And, and I guarantee you that's where you've been too. But I want you to see what Paul's doing here in Galatians 5. He's contrasting the works of the flesh and now with the works of the Spirit. He's contrasting the life that's out of control with the life that's in control. So look at Galatians chapter 5. I want you to look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and here it is, self-control. But the thing I want you to focus on is that very last part. He says in verse 23, against such there is no law. He's basically saying, and I've told you this before, when these nine things are operational in your life, you don't have to worry about the list of thou shall not do and thou should do. You don't have to worry about that list. Because when you're in that element of living out those nine fruit, those nine things that should be produced from a life that's surrendered to God, then, then everything will be in line. Everything will be in line. And we see that. If you have a Bible and you're following along, look at 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, some verses there. But, but as you're turning, listen to this. The contrast between the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit is great. There's a big difference between the two. And it has much to do with the outcome of one's life. Peter, when he's writing these words we're about to read, is, is facing his own death. I mean, he's getting to the end of his journey. And he's basically leaving parting words for those who would, who would uh, read what he's about to write. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 4, he's saying, he's basically talking about this God who wants to give us exceedingly great and precious promises. He's basically saying there's so much that God has for you. It's almost like he's saying, and I hope they'll become a reality in your life. But then he tells us in verse 5 how to get there. He says, 
but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue's knowledge, to knowledge self-control. Now, now think about what he does here. He's building on this thing. Virtue is that thing that you know is out there that your life should respect. And then there's that idea of knowledge. I've met many people who had the idea of virtue and definitely knowledge, maybe, maybe even the knowledge of God's word. But they still lack self-control. I can't tell you how many people that I've counseled over the years that have come into my office and, and basically said, I mean, basically they knew the Bible as well as I did. They could, count, they, could, they could almost counsel themselves from God's word, yet they're sitting across from me and their life is in ruin because of lack of self-control. They have all the answers. The very words that I would say to them to encourage them or get them on the right track, they already know it. And yet their life is in ruins. And, and it's all because of lack of self-control. And Peter is basically saying, okay, if you want this, if you want, what God, if you want God's precious promises, if you want the best that he has for you, he says to knowledge add self-control and to self-control patience, to persevere or patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound in you, and it's obvious they're there, and you're living in that reality, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, listen, is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his old sins. It's, it's basically that idea that they have forgot the whole reality of what God has provided for them. I want you to think about the basics that God has provided for you. If you were to strip it all down and say, okay, what has God provided for me? Where does it start? Where does that, that, that level, that, that first level start? It comes from the forgiveness of sin. That's where it starts. The forgiveness of sin. And from that, he builds things in your life until you get to the point of these promises that Peter's talking about. And what he's saying is don't lose sight of the reality of what God has done on your behalf and the promises and the best that he wants to bring to your life. And he's saying that the only way they're going to be realized is there's got to be virtue. There's got to be knowledge. But, but, but beyond knowledge, there must be self-control. And so he's very clear here. Now, this wind is wreaking havoc here. Anyway, how self-control is presented. Now, when you begin to look at self-control, how what does it look like? If you were to say, okay, show me someone who, who has self-control or someone who has lack of self-control, I think it would be very obvious if you had an opportunity to view their life. Okay? So, how self-control is presented is not indulging oneself but denying oneself. Now, our culture screams, indulge yourself. Indulge yourself. How many of you, and I've shared this with you many times, how many of you are sometimes buying to all the commercials? You're sitting there and pizza commercial comes on. And all of a sudden, click, I need pizza. You, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody, anybody fall for that? Okay, for me? Yeah, lack of self-control, right? Next commercial comes on, it's a Volvo commercial. Okay, I'm picking on Volvo because I, I've never seen one out in our parking lot. There may be one out there now, but I'm picking on you. But all of a sudden, they tell me, how many of you hear these commercials? They tell me I deserve one. 
You, you ever heard those commercials? Yes, sir. I deserve it. I mean, many times the convincing arguments advertisers use are intended to bring you beyond self-control, to, to put you in debt, to maybe put you in bondage. There's, there's something out there that should be in your life, and if you don't have it in your life, you're missing out on something. And by the way, you deserve that. How many of you at least one time in your life bought that message and it came back to bite you? I'm, I'm one. Are you kidding me? No one? Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you for your honest confession. We've all bought into that lie, but it's that idea. In Matthew chapter 16, the culture screams, indulge yourself, but here's what Jesus said. I used this first couple weeks ago. If anyone desires to come after me, if you're going to follow me the way I desire you to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, when I read that, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, what kind of fun would be in that? But you know something? Some of the greatest moments of your life will come from this equation. When you get to the point that you realize that your life is not all about you, that you can live your life in such a way that it isn't all about your next indulgence, but possibly that you have enough self-control to be able to give your life away to other things. Those are the people who walk into the office, my office, who are saying, you know something, God is great and life is good because they have bought into the right message. And that's what Jesus is saying. Our life as Christians should not be defined by fulfilling our own selfish desires, but by fulfilling the desires of the one who created us and the one who saved us. So how is self-control presented? Well, it's not self-effort, but it's surrender. Some of you many times will hear a message like this, and you're like, okay, when... Well, a preacher told me this morning, teach, I got to go home, I got to use more self-control. And for some of you, it may be turning away certain food. Uh, for some of you, it's uh, not believing all the commercials. Whatever it looks like for you, it won't come. Your victory will probably not come through self-effort. There's got to be something that's working in you and through you that's greater than ourselves. That's what the Bible at least tells us. And so how do we overcome the works of the flesh? Zechariah chapter 4, here it is. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. If you're going to have victory in your life, it'll come. The, the foundation of that victory will be how the spirit leads you in your life. And your ability to surrender to the shots that he's calling in your life. Now, Paul in Colossians chapter 2, I don't have time to read this, is addressing the problem of those who worship their self-effort. And by the way, we call it today something called legalism. Legalism. Legalism emphasizes what we do or what we fail to do instead of the power of the Holy Spirit who can control our desires and passions. The secret of self-control is not imposing rules on your life from the outside. It is being surrendered to a ruler who lives on the inside. It's not about you choosing to do all these different things. Now, do you have a part in it? Most definitely but it's not about the self-effort. i got to do better. It's, okay, Holy Spirit, where are you guiding? What are you teaching me today? And surrendering to that. That's where you'll find victory. So the power for self-control is not in self-effort, but by surrender. Next, how self-control is used. Now think about areas in your life right now that you need self-control. Think of one area in your life. I need self-control. How about this? 
Would it be to overcome thoughts of negativity, envy, and worry? You see, sometimes we don't think that it applies to that, do we? But it could be our thoughts. We need to have self-control with our thoughts. How about this? Emotions of anger, jealousy, hatred. How about desires? Gluttony, greed, sexual immorality. These are things in which self-control must be imposed upon to have victory. So how do we get there? How, how do we move from that point in our life where we've given over to these things and now we're wanting to take back that ground and we want to live in God's best and we want to live the way God desires us to live? Well, first of all, you've got to recognize. You've got to recognize where you are. What's controlling you? And what are you being deceived by? Speaking of God's truth, Peter also says this in 2 Peter. He says, some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. What he's saying here is there are some things when it comes to God that it's hard to get our minds around. And sometimes it can be black and white sitting right there in front of us, and we still have a hard time getting our minds around it. You know why? Because we want to justify something sometimes. We want to twist something just enough to, to build a rationalization that we can step over God's truth and step into this deception, which many people do. And first of all, so if we're going to make that transference between this life of out of control and self-control, we've got to recognize what's influencing us. Where's the deception coming from? Secondly, you've got to realize the truth and the consequences. It's amazing how many people... They, they never think of the consequences when they act out of control. It's all about the moment. It's all about right then. But he's saying realize the truth and the consequences. Romans 1 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That, that means they, they take the truth and they twist it to their own liking. How many times have we heard people do that? How many times have we heard preachers do that speaking from God's word? There's so many people that are out there just twisting everything to their own liking, to their own needs, and, and, and stepping from self-control to out of control. So what do we do to, to, to bring self-control? We've got to recognize the deception. We've got to realize the truth. Thirdly, we need to repent. We've got to get to a point where that thought that's out of control, that emotion that's out of control, those actions that are out of control, those behaviors, we've got to repent of those things if we're going to see our life come back in line. The Bible says in Acts 3.19, I've told you this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, therefore, he says, therefore be converted that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you, but boy, when, when my life begins to take that turn towards what God desires, and I begin making those right choices, there's something about the refreshing part of what it means to do that. And many of you can give testimony of that. How about this? Not only repent, but we need to renounce it. We need to renounce it if we've fallen in this. 2 Corinthians 4, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Those things that bring shame into our lives, we want to renounce those things. Not walking in the craftiness nor handling the word deceitfully. We let the word, the word call its shots. God's word call its shots in our life. Not that we can twist it to our own liking, 
but by manifestations of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of, the God, of, in the sight of God. That we begin to live that truth. We renounce the deception. We renounce what's not best. And we claim what he wants to bring into our lives. And then lastly, rely. Who are we relying on? Well, the Holy Spirit. You say, well, the Holy Spirit. What about God? What about Jesus? Well, when Jesus was preparing to leave this world, he sat down with his disciples and he basically said, I'm leaving and there's going to be one that comes that, that is in some ways not necessarily greater than I am, but he'll have more impact in your life. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. He's going to do several things in your life. He's going to convict you. He's going to teach you. He's going to direct you. He's going to help you through all the, the best ways to get to what God has for you. He's going to come. He's going to do that. In John 14, 26, here's part of that conversation. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. You'll be out there in life not knowing sometimes where to turn. And there's that voice there telling you exactly where you need to turn. I don't know about you. It's not The problem in that in my life is not hearing what the Spirit says sometimes. The problem in my life is doing what he's saying. That's the problem sometimes. So we see ourselves in that. How about this? How self-control is illustrated. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you have a Bible and you'll follow, turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul was using an illustration from the world of sports to prove that to be successful in anything, one needs self-control. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he says this. Do you not... Know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He's saying run for what for, for the best that God has out there. Run as, though, as the one who is the victor. You see, the only way that happens is with self-control. The only way that happens is not only knowing the truth, but acting and living on the truth. That's self-control. And so look at what he says there. There's three stages of self-control. There's the training. There's the training. Some people, we may call this discipleship. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, he goes on and says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for imperishable crown. When he says they're temperate, it means they're disciplined. They're disciplined. They're self-controlled there. Now, uh, and, and so what he's saying there is that's what it's going to take to live the, the life God calls us to. It teaches us to say what we need to say no to and what to say yes to. And then there's not only the training, but then there's something called the competing, which is that idea of not just training for the race, but actually being in the race. And that's the competing. And, and that's what I would call living intentionally. Look at verse 26. Therefore, he says, I run thus. This is how I run. Not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. He's basically saying he's not one who is uncertain about what he's doing. He's one who knows exactly what to do. His training has led him to the point in which when he's actually in the competition, he can be successful. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm not prepared for a lot of things that hit me in my life, I don't do very well sometimes. 
I, I've got a, the Bible talks about the mind of Christ. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit leading, directing, teaching. You're sitting here today, and, and here's what I would like to think about you sitting here today. That today you're sitting here, and you're getting instruction on how to leave this place and live according to God's word. That, that is what my goal is for you. For you to come to know what it looks like to win with God. To, to, to live the life he intended you to live. Which leads us to the next point. Not only the competing, but the winning. And that whole idea of winning, I don't know about you, but it's hard to win when you're not on the course. you got to be on the course to win. I think many of us know that God has a plan for our lives. And, and, and I think many of us, you know, we work hard at trying to get our minds around what that plan is. Well, that plan is, is literally the course. Some of you are laughing because possibly you know my story, but I was running in a race in Kings Mountain one time, and there were 5K and 10K all in one race, and we started at the same thing and everything. And so I was in there, you know, and I was running, and I was giving it all I had, and people were passing me, and I was passing some people. But I found these group of guys that, I mean, they were stout. I mean, they, they had to be the 10K guys. You know what I mean? They're going for the whole 6.2. And, uh, and that's the race I signed up for. So I'm going 6.2. I'm not going 3.1. I'm going 6.2. And so they looked like they knew what they were doing. They had that trot going on. You've seen it. They got their chest bowed out. They, I mean, muscles on top of muscles. I was about to get sick just seeing it. But anyway, and so we were running, and, and all of a sudden, uh, the crowd started splitting off. You had the 5K going one way, 10K going the other way. So, so anyway, I spun off and, and, and kind of went that way, and, and uh, sure enough, those guys did. And, and uh, I was just, okay, I'm going to let these guys pace me. Okay, so I was there, and I was running the pace and all that. And then all of a sudden, there was another sign that said 10K this way and 5K that way. Well, they went 5K, and I went on about 6K. Well, come to find out, I was running by myself. There was no one within miles of me. And, and I was really, I was going, boy, and this lady was in her parking lot rooting on runners, and she said, honey, you're the first one. You're the first one. You're the winner so far. I said, really? She said, yeah. Well, I knew that wasn't the truth. So I kept going on down the road, and all of a sudden there was this police car, and I've been in enough races to know that the police car leads the winner to the, to the finish line, and, and, and he's sitting there, and by that point I've already realized I've made a turn that's wrong somewhere. I can't be the leader of this race. So all of a sudden I see the police car turn his lights on, he's getting ready to pull out, I'm like, no! <laughs> I'm not the winner! I got off the course! <laughs> I was very embarrassed. By that time I just shut it all down, I just started walking. I totally miss the course that was set for me. Literally, I, became, I really became disqualified. Now, I could have played it up. I know none of you would ever do this and just strutted across the finish line with a police escort. But I had enough integrity in me not to do that. No, I'm just kidding. Plus, a, a time would have been turned in that no one has ever done, ever. <laughs> but anyway, besides that... Uh, I totally got off course. Literally, I disqualified myself. And Paul, when he gets down to this next verse, he says, verse 27, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. He's literally saying, I make my body a slave to the point that I can get what I need to get out of the body. He says, I do this that I may myself should not become disqualified. 
And so for many of us, when it comes to our spiritual walk, we need to be careful not to disqualify ourselves because of lack of self-control. We have to condition ourselves. We have to do what God calls us to do. Now I want to get to this point in the message. And I really want to show you something that I think is a, a good illustration. So over the last couple of weeks, I knew this sermon was coming, and it was one of the things where I'm like, okay, how can I illustrate what I'm talking about? And the best way that I know how to do this is really with these cones. And, and I think this hopefully will help you uh, as we kind of work through this. But these cones represent something. And me being in the center of these cones is what I would call being in the box. Now, in the box, I'm living in truth. I'm, I'm basically surrendered to the Holy Spirit. When He brings conviction to my life, I follow that, I turn from it, and I get it right. I understand He's directing my life, He's teaching me. This is where, this place right here is where the blessings of God, this is where wisdom is, this is where discernment is. According to God's word, this is also where protection and provision is. In this place, there's no shame, there's no guilt. And basically, the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about for the last several weeks is flourishing at this point. This is where I believe God wants me to be. Now, again, let me remind you, like I started the sermon, this is not an attempt of God just trying to keep you in a box to, to keep you away from things that, that you might enjoy for a short time or whatever. No, he is saying, based on the, the authority of God's word, this is where you'll receive the best. This is where you'll see me do great things. It doesn't mean you're not going to be touched by sorrow and pain. No, no, that can come within that. The great, the great writers of the Bible, every one of them suffered tremendously, but they were still in the box. So what does all this mean? Well, living outside the box, if I go outside the box, I'm looking at deception Anxiety, a critical spirit, ungodliness, living in rebellion, and possibly ruin and destruction to my life or the relationships of my life. And, and so I've lived out here before. I've been here, okay? But let me just say this. I will never be, listen, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ and, and he's done this tremendous work in your life, you will never be satisfied outside the box, Matter of fact, I believe the most miserable people in the world today are Christians out of the fellowship with God who are outside the box. And so what we're always told in Scripture is the fact that God is calling us into right relationship and that will always be found in the box because this is where the best is. Now, while living in the box, there's times I'm going to be enticed to go outside the box. How many of you ever been enticed to leave the box? You remember the story of Adam and Eve? What was going on there? Well, in the garden, they were in the box. They were being enticed by the enemy to go outside the box. And so all of a sudden, Eve entered into this, this conversation with the enemy. And all of a sudden, she was being drawn. She was being enticed outside the box. Now, did that work out real well for her? No. <laughs> Life was never the same after that. Life was never the same. And that's what he's calling us to, is to live in a box. How do we live in a box? We surrender to the Holy Spirit. We know the truth. And here's the key point. We crucify the flesh. We crucify anything that is being awakened in us, that's enticing us to go outside the box. 
whatever that may be, a thought, an attitude, a behavior, anything that's enticing us outside the box, that is a problem. It needs to be acknowledged as a problem. Now, staying and living in the box requires discipleship, living intentionally, staying the course. That's what we've learned this morning. Now, what happens when you're outside the box and you know you need to be inside the box? Here it is again. Recognize the deception we're living in out there. Realize the truth of what's really in the box, knowing that that's the best. Repent. It's literally the whole idea of no longer being satisfied outside the box, but realize your fulfillment and purpose and everything is in the box. It's a change of direction. And then we need to renounce our waywardness. We need to renounce it. And we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to bring us back into the box. How does he do it? Well, when I'm outside the box, there's something called conviction. Anybody ever felt that? You're convicted by something. What are you being convicted about? Well, big picture, to get back in the box. That's what you're being convict, convicted to do. And that in that, while I'm in the box, that's where the teaching and the training of the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. So as I close this message, I just want to ask you, how would you describe your life right now today? Are you in the box? Are you outside the box? There's many times where someone will come into my office possibly or just in casual conversation and and they don't say it like this, but here's really what they're saying. They're saying they're being enticed. And for many of them, they don't realize the safest place for them to be is right in the center of the box. You get that, right? This is, this is, this is when the fellowship is, I mean, you sense the power of God, God working in your life. But again, so many times, we're enticed to come at least to the edge. And many of us spend our lives straddling the, the whole idea of being in and out of the box. You know what I call that? A defeated Christian. A Christian who's not walking in victory. A Christian that wants both this part of the world and what God offers. And y'all, they will never go together because they're polar opposites of one another. We need to be aware of what's in the box. We need to stay in the box. In Galatians 5, in Galatians 5 verses 24 and 25, here's what it says. And those who are Christ, those who are in the box, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's crucified, that, that part. It's, it's literally put to death, those things. It's literally those things outside the box, listen, are dead to me. They're dead to me. And then he says this. If we live in the Spirit, if we live in a box, let's walk like we're in the box. Let our life shine like we're in the box. So my question this morning is this. Are you walking in the Spirit? If so, it will be evident and your life will look like you're walking in the box. In the box. Fulfillment. Purpose. Joy. Victory. How many of you need a good dose of that today? I know I do. So if you will, just join me in prayer at this time. Father, we just come to you right now and Lord, we realize that so many times in our life we're so enticed to leave the best for something of this world. And Father, I just pray right now that you just help all of us that are in this space here, Lord, as, as we're gathered here today, Lord, to evaluate our life, to say, am I in the box? Am I experiencing God's best? 
Am I where he desires me to be? Or maybe there's a life that's here this morning that they know they're outside the box. They've been enticed outside the box. Father, I pray for that soul, that person. But Father, most of all, I pray for the person that may be here today in which they've never been in the box. They've never come to a point in their life where they trusted God with their life, where they trusted you with their life, where they got to the point where they realize that the world doesn't offer all it claims to offer and there's got to be a better way and, and they turn and they see that God is there with open arms. Father, if that person is here today, I pray, Lord, that you just bring them to a point of repentance, bring them to a point of faith where they can reach out to all that you have for them. Father, for the Christian that may be here, as we've said before, they know what it's like to live in a box, but boy, they've been outside of it for some time now. I pray, Lord, that you're calling them home. I pray, Lord, that you'll, that you'll continue to convict them through your Holy Spirit to bring them to that right standing. Lord, we just thank you for what you're capable of doing and what you desire to do as we met here today. We thank you for what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing, let me just say this. If you're that person that's never been inside the box, I want to ask you, I'll be right over here when this ends. Actually, I'll be over there when it ends. I'll ask you to come and talk to me. I'd like to talk to you more about being, being in the box for the first time. It's a great place to be, and I would like to talk to you. So if you'd like to talk to me more about that, I welcome that conversation this morning. Let's sing this morning. Would you stand to your feet?